Good morning. Last week's video went on forever, and that one just ended. So, All right, uh, this is a time for our kids to go to Children's Church, so they're headed out that way. So if you've got kids in that age group, uh, they're headed that way. Three years old through second grade is what we're doing now, so they're headed out that way uh, to have some fun time over there. We also have a nursery if you need that, uh, or a, a room in the back if you need to, to take advantage of that. Uh, it's good to see everybody this morning. We're going to continue in our series in, in Jonah in just a minute, but a couple of more kind of calendary announcement things, as, as Katie Ann said at the beginning. We've got several of those things this morning. Uh, so a couple more. One, next Sunday, you may have seen emails from, from Pam about this. We're having what we are calling a, a teacher appreciation dinner, and so I wanted to kind of clarify that a little bit. Uh, we've typically had at the end of, of May kind of an end-of-the-school uh, dinner party gathering where we typically uh, honor our graduating, uh, specifically even our graduating high school seniors. But we don't have any of those this year. Uh, we've got a younger group. And so we thought, what can we do with that time and still, still have that gathering? What could be a different focus maybe? And so we decided to focus on, on our teachers, both within our church, uh, the people within our church who, who teach in schools. And so they're going to be kind of the focus of who we honor and appreciate that night, but that, that dinner is open to everyone. It's an all-church thing. Come and enjoy time at the park. It's at Wilson Park. Is that right? Uh, Wilson Park, uh, through a generous donation, uh, we're, we're going to have catered barbecue from Miller's Smokehouse, so, uh, so come and enjoy that, because we, we also thought, how can we do this where our teachers won't have to cook the meal? So, <laughs> so we, we were thinking of you, so you don't have to cook? Show up, food is, is, is provided, dessert is provided, uh, and we'll have a fun time together uh, next Sunday. Because we are ordering food, though, we do need a head count. So if you're planning on coming, please let Pam know. Uh, there may be a sign-up sheet over there. Uh, we can make one. I know there was on, on Wednesdays. Uh, or you can email Pam uh, and, and let her know that you're, you're planning uh, to, to be at that event, and I hope you'll, you'll be able to join us. Uh, also, after that, I'm going to be gone the first two Sundays in June, um, and so we're going to finish up Jonah next week, and then I'll be gone for a couple of Sundays, uh, and wanted to let you know that we are blessed with, with many people who have the gift of, uh, of, of speaking, of preaching, of, of sharing their gifts in that way, uh, and so while I'm gone, the first Sunday of that, June 2nd, uh, Katie Ann Herring, who is our family, family life resident, is going to be preaching that Sunday. Um, and then Lyle Burwell, Burwell is going to be preaching June 9th. Uh, and so some of you uh, may not be familiar with either of those people or stories, but Katie Ann, uh, as I said, is our family life resident, and um, this is kind of part of our partnership with her and her education, that we, we intentionally termed her a resident for a few reasons, one of which is w- that we see it a partnership with her and her education she is uh, currently in seminary at uh, Truett uh, on the chaplaincy track, I believe. There she is, uh, the chaplaincy track. Yeah, so if you don't know Katie Ann, she was our host this morning. Um, and so this is one of the ways that we're kind of partnering with her, and, and I am very excited that, that we are open to giving her this opportunity, that we are a space that can provide her uh, this opportunity. Um, and then some of you may also not know Lyle's story. Uh, Lyle and Linda have been with us for about as long as we've been here. Um, but Lyle retired from what, more than 40 years in preaching, um, and so he has that, that gift as well, and so grateful that he can, can share that with us. Um, and I think, uh, what I think is great about these two weeks is that I think it shows the, 
the diversity, uh, the range that exists within our, our unique and great uh, church family. That in some ways we all look fairly similar, <laughs> um, but we have a large diversity. And so on one week we'll have Katie Ann who's in, in her um, education phase of her ministry, of her life. Um, and then we've got Lyle who, Lyle, I won't say that you're at the end of the spectrum, but you are re- <laughs> you're retired. So you got a good view of it. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, so I know that I personally am grateful that we are a place where, where both of those voices um, are given space and voice. Uh, so that's coming up uh, in June. Uh, one more note, speaking of, of Katie Ann, some of you may have, have met or seen her friend Trevor Hunt. Uh, and I neglected to say last week that Trevor has uh, indicated he wants to be recognized as part of our church family here at the Vine. And so we want to welcome Trevor. If you haven't gotten a chance to meet Trevor and or Katie Ann, uh, Trevor and uh, his daughter Savannah, who I guess is, is across the way now, uh, they, they've been hanging out with us, and Trevor's been great about supporting Katie Ann. He was up here at the rummage cell yesterday, and um, as Katie Ann, I know, has said, when you, when you date or, or marry a, a youth minister or youth worker, you get, you get uh, lumped in with a lot of the brunt work. So, <laughs> so Trevor is experiencing that. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get uh, into Jonah this morning. Our Father in heaven, we're, we're grateful for your grace, for your love, for the ways that we see your grace and your love on, on full display in the story of Jonah. And I pray that we see it on full display in our own lives as well in recognition of the ways that you have blessed each of us, um, and also, God, manifested in the ways that we deal with and relate to others. God, would you, would you open our hearts, our minds, this morning to your word and to the story um, that we are invited into as we explore the story of Jonah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so today, we are going to talk about raw. Uh, raw is a Hebrew word, and we're going to trace this Hebrew word Jonah, uh, uh, trace this Hebrew word raw kind of throughout the story of Jonah today. So we're going to do a little bit of recap, but kind of looking back at some stuff through the thread of this one Word and, and the ways that this one word continually throws up, shows up through this story. Uh, and so the first week of this, I thought if, if, there's a, uh, if there's a story in Scripture that lends itself best to an oversized flannel board, it's Jonah. So I used my flannel board the, the first week, and I thought of this idea too late this week. But if I'd thought of it earlier, I would have done, I don't know what they're called, but you know those red thread diagrams that look something like this? Um, they have the little red threads going everywhere. This is my way of working my little pony into... Uh, into a sermon. This is from My Little Pony, and she's not even here. Ice is not even in here. But um, if you're on social media, you may have seen it. Uh, this is a popular meme, some version of this, when people are talking about conspiracy theories or stuff. I don't even know what these charts or diagrams are called, but they've got the red threads everywhere connecting all these different parts of a story or whatever. Um, and so that's what we're going to kind of do this morning, connect some threads about this word raw that comes up repeatedly throughout the story of Jonah. Uh, and so this word uh, is literally interpreted as something like evil or bad. And so again, we see it come up repeatedly. So if you look back at the very beginning of the book, 
We're going to go back to the beginning of the book this morning. And uh, beginning of chapter 1 in verse 2. And most of these are going to be up on the screen, but if you want to follow along, we'll be doing some flipping uh, throughout the, the four chapters of Jonah this morning. So in, in chapter 1, verse 2, God says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Their evil. Uh, that word evil there is the word raw. God says to Jonah, their raw, their evil has come up before me. And so one of the things that we've seen so far in, in this book is, is just the, the beautiful way that the story is laid out. There are a lot of just beautiful literary elements to this book. Um, and one of those is, is wordplay, that there's a lot of wordplay that's going on in the book. We've talked about it uh, with uh, the imagery that we've seen in the first two chapters of Jonah repeatedly going down and Jonah's descent as he goes down further and further away from God and the imagery that we can see there, even in the way that the story is told, that we can see that in, in English. But there are some other wordplay aspects of this story that we can't really see in English uh, because we don't have it in the original Hebrew. Uh, So, for instance, one of the things that we're going to find in chapter 4 is that there's this interesting play on words with the Hebrew word for anger, which can also be used to describe heat or something burning, which we can understand, right? We would talk about things like a burning anger or somebody was so angry, you could, you know, there's fire associated with that. Well, it's the same thing in, in Hebrew, uh, that these words are almost interchangeable. So we see that throughout the story. Uh, other ways that, that words are kind of played off of each other. Um, and, and we see that with this word raw. So I want you to kind of just keep this word raw in your head. We're going to kind of come in and out of it um, as we go through the story. But keep this word in your, in your head that this is how the story is framed that the Ninevites' raw, their evil, has come up before God, and God asked Jonah to do something about it. Uh, So we continue on then, um, and just a brief recap then of the first two chapters. Instead of obeying God, Jonah flees. He ends up getting uh, thrown off a ship in a storm, swallowed up by a big fish, uh, gets vomited out on the land, and finally decides, all right, I'll go to Nineveh. Uh, And he goes to Nineveh, and that's where we kind of pick up in chapter 3. And Jonah 3, in, in my mind, kind of begins the way that we would expect the story to begin, and it ends the way that we would expect the story to end. And so let's look at the beginning and end of chapter 3, and, and maybe this will make some sense to you. I'll try to explain what I mean by that. So here's how Jonah chapter 3 starts. This is after Jonah has been vomited up, which is just great imagery. Uh, <laughs> Then, speaking of which, so I'll just say this briefly. <laughs> In case you're wondering what that's like, no, but uh, we've talked about sometimes how this is kind of told as a kid's story. I had this imagery in my head as a kid of Jonah like getting vomited up and then he goes like, and Nineveh's like over that next hill over there. And you can kind of even see that in some children's illustrations, like Nineveh's just kind of over the next hill. He just kind of takes a nice little stroll and there's Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh's like 550 miles from shore. He's got a long journey to Nineveh to think about some stuff. Um, and hopefully he gets a shower before that because it's hot. <laughs> but just he's got a long time before he gets to Nineveh, uh, which I think, I think is, is important to remember because he didn't have podcasts. He didn't have music. He's by himself with his thoughts from the shore to Nineveh on a long journey. Okay, so uh, beginning of chapter 3, like I said, this is the way that we would expect the story to begin. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. 
saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, almost the same thing he said at the beginning, and call out against it, call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. The first time he arose and fled. Now Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This is how we would expect a prophet to respond to God, right? God tells you to do something, you go and you do it. Seems to make sense. Uh, Same thing with the ending of the chapter. If you look at the end of the chapter, uh, the second part of verse 8, Jonah's message is successful. Uh, The Ninevites repent and um, says, When God saw what they did, their repentance and their their turning away uh, from their evil deeds, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, there's our word again, evil, uh, you'll see I've got a different color up there, evil way, their raw, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Uh, so this is a nice encapsulated story. This is the way that we would expect this story to begin and end. God calls Jonah, Jonah obeys, the Ninevites repent, uh, God relents in this disaster, everyone's happy, everybody lived happily ever after, Jonah goes home a hero, the Ninevites are saved. Uh, this is the happy ending to the story that we would expect to find. Uh, except as we saw the first week, there's, there's a chapter four. Uh, there's a, there's a, a, a postscript to this story. Uh, and unfortunately, the book doesn't end at the end of chapter three, which provides this nice symmetry. It's framed in the, in, in, in the kind of the context of Nineveh's raw. They've now repented of their raw, and, and everything's good, right? Uh, well, not quite, because we still have chapter 4. Uh, and before we get to chapter 4, I want to go back to the middle of chapter 3, because I think chapter 3 gives us maybe a little bit of insight uh, into Jonah's response in chapter 4. Because I want you to look at Jonah's sermon in Jonah 3 verse 4. This is the message that Jonah proclaims to Nineveh. In the ESV, it states it this way, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The end. (laughs) That's the sermon. (laughs) Uh, Now, maybe he goes through the streets just repeating that one thing. Maybe he goes through the streets repeating or kind of proclaiming a longer sermon than that, and this is the summation. Either way, this is what the writer wants us to know. This is the essence of Jonah's message. Yet 40 days or 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In Hebrew, it's five words. Now, if you're just looking at this content of the sermon, uh, it's got some interesting elements to it. It's got some things missing. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of repentance. He doesn't ask the Ninevites to do anything. Uh, now, now, you could read this as maybe some of those things are just left out. Uh, and in, in the beginning of this chapter does tell us that, uh, that Jonah has responded and is going according to the word of the Lord. So maybe this is the exact message that, that God has given to Jonah. Or maybe Jonah starts thinking on the way to Nineveh, you know what? I'm just going to tell them they're about to die. <laughs> I don't like those people. If I just tell them in 40 days y'all are going to be dead... I'm not really disobeying God, right? That's what he told me to do. Like this sermon sort of sounds like to me, uh, if you have a sibling, you can probably relate to this. I remember when my brother and I were kids and I saw my brother do something wrong, something I knew he was going to get in trouble for. I said, oh, Chris, when mom and dad see this, you're in trouble, right? Anybody ever said that to a brother or sister? And, and what you're doing in that moment isn't calling them to repentance. <laughs> you're gloating in the punishment that you know is coming up. 
like you are about to get it, and, and I'm going to be sitting here watching because you deserve it. Uh, and you can even see, I think, in the response of the king um, that maybe repentance wasn't a big part of Jonah's message. So look at the way that the king responds in verse 8. This is the second part of verse 8 of chapter 3. He says, let everyone turn from his evil way, there's our word again, evil way, their raw way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Now, this is fascinating to me because back on the first week, remember we said that, that the Ninevites, uh, Nineveh is the, the capital of Assyria. Assyria is the most violent, ruthless, murderous people that the world has known to this point. They're, they're terrible people. They are feared everywhere. They are the biggest bully and empire the world has ever seen. Um, and so even the king recognizes, yeah, we're pretty violent people. <laughs> Maybe we should stop doing that. We, we have a lot of raw. We have a lot of evil. Maybe it would be good if we, if we stopped that. Then he even says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is part of what makes me think that maybe Jonah's sermon didn't include a lot of stuff about repentance because even the king here is like, hey, you know, I don't know for sure, but we could give this a shot. <laughs> like, you know, we have nothing left else to lose, right? Maybe if we turn and stop doing some of these things, God will turn and relent from this disaster that he has, that we have heard he's going to bring upon us. Uh, which again, we see here another play on words because when Jonah says the word overthrown, that word can also be translated as turned or transformed. It's the word in Psalms that we use for, you have turned my morning into dancing. So it can mean overthrown or destroyed, but it can also mean turned or changed or transformed. And so Jonah's prophecy comes true. They are turned. They are overthrown, but they're transformed and they're changed, and they decide to turn and make a change in their own lives. So that brings us then to the end of chapter 3. And as I said, we would expect that everyone goes home happy from here. Uh, this is, is, I think, to me, the greatest evangelistic effort of all time. Uh, a prophet of God has gone into a terrorist state and convinced the whole capital to turn from their violence and repent and come to God. This is, imagine a preacher today deciding, I'm going to go in to the ISIS caliphate or whatever it's called, headquarters, and, and preach a very short five-word message, and all of ISIS is going to turn to God. Like, you may think that's an extreme example, but, but these people are terrorists, and they were hated, and they were feared. And the only reason they didn't do some of the stuff that ISIS does is because they don't have the technology. And in some ways, they did more brutal stuff. Uh, we would think that was an incredible accomplishment. That person would come back a hero. That person would be in line for a promotion in whatever <laughs> group or denomination they are in. They'd have all kinds of book deals. Like, they would come home a hero. That's how we would expect this story to end. Uh, but instead, Jonah just gets angry. We looked at that the first week. If you look at the beginning of, of chapter 4, basically Jonah just says, I knew this would happen, God. I knew that you loved people too much and you wouldn't kill them like you should. Um, and so that's why I didn't want to go because I knew that you were gracious and merciful and, and loved people too much to kill them. That's basically what he says. Um, and he even, we looked last week at how Jonah takes Psalms um, in chapter 2 and kind of forms this into this beautiful prayer. Now he does the same thing and uses God's words against him. Uh, Katie Ann read the psalm that this, this quote comes from. 
that in Psalms it says God is, is abounding in love, slow to anger, gracious and merciful. And now Jonah takes those words and turns them on God and says, see, I knew you were those things. I've read about those things since I was a kid. That's why I didn't want to come here. And so Jonah just gets angry. And then God asks Jonah uh, a very interesting question, I think, and a, very, a question that if we allow it to, uh, I think, can be pretty formative and can cut us a little bit. In the ESV, God asks him, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Your version may say something like, is it right for you to be angry? Um, which I think there's a little bit of a different way of, of viewing those two questions. Because we can talk about times where it would be right to be angry. Uh, we even call it things like righteous indignation. Um, some of you may have seen there was this kind of social media uproar late last night. This girl was kidnapped like right out of her neighborhood in Fort Worth. So there's all this stuff that starts going off over social media. They're, they're looking for this eight-year-old girl who she was out with her mom on a walk and guy just pulls up, pulls her into the car and, and takes off. And like just the frightening is it with a seven-year-old daughter, I'm reading this just like my stomach hurting and churning like this is, man, this, this would make you angry, right? I have a right to be angry about this. Um, they did, they did found the girl just a few hours later. So uh, it, luckily they, they found her and she was safe and she's back with her parents now. But I thought, man, you know, there are things that we can get angry about and feel like we're righteous in doing that. Uh, but to phrase the question, do you do well to be angry? Uh, think about the last time you were angry. Did your anger serve you well? Did you do well to be angry? Um, how often do we get angry and nothing good comes of our anger? That only negativity comes of it. That only more broken relationships come of it that it only sends us further and further away from a relationship, away from a person, away from something we should be pursuing. How often does our anger use us, do us well? And sometimes I think we can use righteous indignation as a crutch to say, well, any of my anger is justified. Well, God asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Uh, Jonah doesn't say anything. He's not ready to talk about it. <laughs> He gives God the cold shoulder. He goes out, outside of the city, uh, and he's just going to wait now. He's going to wait and see what happens to this city. Meaning, he's still hoping that these people get burned. He's still hoping for destruction. And so he's going to go wait and see, maybe this won't last. Maybe God will change his mind. I'm going to go wait and see what will happen to this city. Which brings us then to, four, uh, to chapter 4, verse 6. Um, and we're going to, so remember our word raw. We're going to bring it back in now. You may have thought I forgot, uh, but it's going to come back. Chapter 4, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. So he's appointed a fish before to swallow Jonah. Now he appoints a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Now you see I've got the word discomfort in green up here. Um, the word discomfort is the word raw. And this is a thought I had this week. Uh, privilege is a popular word in our culture, you know, white privilege, male privilege, whatever. Uh, this to me is a great definition of privilege. This is prophet privilege. Privilege is where your raw gets interpreted as discomfort and the Ninevites raw gets interpreted as evil. It's the same word. Uh, God now is trying to save Jonah from his raw. So we've got this story in the first three chapters of God 
going about the work of saving Nineveh, Nineveh from their raw. Their raw has come up before God. They repent of their raw. They're delivered. And now Jonah's angry. And so now God goes about the work of saving Jonah from his raw. Now, on one hand, this has a very kind of physical element to it. He is saving him from his discomfort because Jonah's hot out here waiting for these people to die. <laughs> so God brings this plant to cover him. And so he is saved from his heat, the physical eat, heat, but God also wants to save him from his heat or his anger because Jonah is angry that these people have been saved. Jonah's hardness of heart, Jonah's inability to love and have compassion for these people is his raw. It is his evil. And God is attempting to save him from that just as much or more so than he's trying to save him from the heat of the sun. And so God is doing a couple of things through the providing of this plant as he now goes about the work of trying to save Jonah himself from his raw. And so we're going to pick up then and read the rest of this chapter, starting in verse 7. Uh, right before this, it says, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So it's the first time in the book Jonah's been glad, so at least we know he's capable of it. Um, and then in verse 7, But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, there's that word again, appointed, appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it was withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. So the same thing he said when, when Nineveh was spared. He said, I just want to die, God. Just, uh, I can't take this. Just let me die. Now he says the same thing. It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and after much cattle? That's it. <laughs> you may be turning your page in the Bible like, what comes next? What, what does Jonah say? How does this conversation end? We don't know. Uh, to add to the continued kind of satirical nature of the book of Jonah, the last word of Jonah is livestock. Like, it's just another funny element in the story. This is how God ends the story. Also, there's a bunch of cows there. Shouldn't I care about them? Like, it's just a funny book. <laughs> but God is making this point that I, that I think is probably pretty clear to us. Like, Jonah, do you recognize the hypocrisy of what you're doing? You're so concerned about this plant that came up in a day and is gone. I've got 120,000 people here who I care about, who I love, who I want to come back to me. W will you allow me the right to be concerned about these people? Which is obviously kind of um, over-exaggerated, right? For God to be asking a person, is it okay with you if I have compassion over these people in the same way that you've got compassion over this silly plant that I only provided so that you can have a good spot for the hopeful fire show that's going to come down on these people that I've created, right? Uh, can I have the same compassion for these people that you've got for this silly plant that just came up? 
End of story. That's it. And so, uh, we've covered, I know we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, but as I've said in the previous two weeks, uh, Jonah is a book that invites us to ask a lot of questions. It invites us to ask a lot of questions about the narrative itself, because it leaves a lot of things kind of open to interpretation, uh, as evidenced certainly by the end of it. It just kind of ends, and we don't know what happens. So there's plenty of things we can ask about it, plenty of questions that we can ask about the story itself, but it also invites us to ask a lot of questions about ourselves. And so the the one that I want to leave us with today is, from what is God trying to save you? Uh, What is God trying to save you from today? Uh, That if we're honest with ourselves, we've all got some raw within us. Um, And we may be tempted to interpret our raw as discomfort or grief, as it comes up in some of your translations. We've all got some evil within us, though. We've all got places that still need redeeming. What does God need to save you from? Uh, Sometimes it's much easier to look at what others need to be saved from than it is to look inwards. Because we can convince ourselves, especially as, as Christians, as believers, especially if you've been a Christian or believer for a long time, we can convince ourselves that, that I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm showing up here on Sunday morning. It's been a long week, and I'm still here. I serve where I can. I give where I can. Uh, I'm, I'm generally nice to people. Uh, I'm certainly not as bad as those people, whoever those people are for you. For Jonah, they're Ninevites. I don't know who they are for you, but I'm not as bad as those people. I'm doing pretty well. And we can convince ourselves then that I don't really have a lot to be saved from. And I think that's sort of Jonah's story. But in another twist on the narrative of this story, it's the Ninevites who reveal Jonah's own need for salvation. Uh, Jonah needs to be saved from his Ra just as much as the Ninevites. And that has to sting a little bit. There's a couple of reasons that I think the book ends the way it does, and we're going to get to one of them in a minute. But part of it is, I think the author just wants us to feel that jab into Jonah's side. Like, maybe this is the moment that Jonah finally gets it, and it all comes crashing down, and it's just, oh, man. Like, we went a long way to make that point, but I I get it, God. I get it. I I need your grace and mercy as well. Uh, Jonah is not more deserving of or entitled to God's grace than anyone else. He needs saving just like the Ninevites do. And perhaps the best way to bring that out and to expose that to Jonah himself is to send him to Nineveh. Uh, There's part of a book uh, by Walter Wink called Engaging the Powers uh, where he says this. He says, this is the gift our enemy may be able to bring us. To see aspects of ourself that we cannot discover any other way than through our enemies. Our friends seldom show us our flaws. They are our friends precisely because they are able to overlook and ignore those parts of us. The enemy is therefore not merely a hurdle to be leaped over on the way to God. Our enemy might actually be the way to God. We cannot come to terms with our own inner shadows except through our enemies. We have almost no other access to those unacceptable parts of ourselves that need redeeming except through the mirror that our enemies hold up to us. Uh, One of the things that I love about that thought is that we are oftentimes most resistant to criticism that comes from people that we perceive to be our enemies, right? It's when we become most defensive. Say, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. They're evil. Why would I listen to them? 
but, but repeatedly throughout Scripture, there's this call to love our enemies, to have compassion on those who hate us, to, to pray for those who persecute us, on and on and on. It's a core element uh, of Jesus' ministry. Uh, and this is part uh, of what our enemies can reveal within us, and it's part of what I think is revealed within Jonah. Uh, if I was going to do a, a kind of a, a second part to this sermon, uh, it would be entitled Jonah chapter 5. Because uh, I think that is the big question that this book leaves us with. What comes next? Uh, and as I said, I think there are a few reasons that it doesn't have anything, that it doesn't have Jonah 5. But one of those is that I think it invites us then, this is the final book, this is the final question that this book invites us to ask of ourselves. Uh, what is our response to God's question here? Uh, Jonah is asked to consider, is it okay with you uh, if I have concern for these people who you hate? Is it okay with you if I'm merciful, if I'm gracious to the, this group of people who you would rather die? And so, I don't really think, uh, I think part of the reason that we don't have Jonah's answer is because I, I, I think that the point of the story is that it's a question asked to the nation of Israel at the time when they first heard this story. Are you okay with the, the, the boundaries of the kingdom extending beyond our Israelite people? Because this is what's coming, and are, are you okay with that? Are you ready for that? Uh, the, the, the idea was never for, for the kingdom to be contained to the Israelite nation and people. It was to go out from there to begin with this holy set-apart called people who are going to be a light to the world, and then the, the grace and the kingdom would be extended to all the world through them. So are you okay with the boundaries of the kingdom expanding? It's a question asked to the church throughout history. Are you okay with, with bringing chairs to the table for those who have been left out, excluded, marginalized, cast out, who are outside of the camp? Are you okay with inviting them to their place at the table? And it's a question asked of us. What is our response to this question? So I would ask us to consider that as we end and uh, have Chris and, and the band come back up. That the book is an invitation to ask ourselves many questions, as I've said throughout this series and as i said today. It's an it's a invitation to ask ourselves some questions about the relentless and extravagant love of God in the end. Ending with this one that the book itself leaves unanswered as it relates to Jonah. And as we sing, as we prepare to pull up to the table and come as equal, powerless sinners, all the poor and powerless as we're about to sing about, as we come to the table on equal footing by, um, in front of the cross, in equal need of redemption and saving of our raw, we're invited to ask ourselves this question. Are you okay with God caring about and loving and pursuing those who you least want to have a place at the table? Because we recognize that it is only through Jesus that any of us have a place at the table. May we consider that question as we share in more worship and as we share in communion this morning. So let's stand and sing together.
standing, we'll pray our prayer of confession together, and I'll pray the parts in white, and then together we'll pray the parts in yellow, and then after that we'll share in communion together. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. 